Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Uplog Podcast. I am your host, Simon Head. First things first, before we get started, I want to let you all know about my live podcast taping. It's on January 27th at a place called The Central. It's at 603 Markham Street. Doors are at 5.30, which is early, relatively speaking, and it'll end around 8 p.m. Show will kind of start around 6. There's some music. There's some guests, one of them being Justin Small, and the other one being Stella Panacci. Music supplied by Cameron Carpenter. I want to send a big thank you out to Deathwish Coffee Company. You can go to their website at www.deathwish.com deathwishcoffee.com and you can go purchase some coffee now it's not necessarily a sponsor but i i call i sort of reached out and said hey do you want to be a sponsor and they kind of said no we're not really looking to sponsor anything but we'll send you some coffee and that's what they did they sent me some free coffee and it was absolutely delicious it's considered the strongest coffee in the world and it is delicious it's all above board single farm kosher whole bean or ground and it's delish okay go there the show is brought to you by fetchclass.com fetchclass.com is a teaching and learning system where you can teach and be taught in a one-on-one video conference it's free to join and anybody who wants to teach can also join there too you'll be set up with a scheduling system as well as the know-how to do it all you need is a computer and google chrome and you are on your way to teaching or being taught Fetchclass.com, go there. Also brought to you by InsightRecorders.com. What this is, is a website that actually, if you are a musician or a person that needs some mixing work done, this is why it's on the show. Online mixing is a thing that a lot of people are doing now to sort of help them out because everybody's got a laptop in their basement. They all have a knowledge of computers. They just don't have the absolute experience on getting good mixes. Inside Recorders will help you do that. If you are in the area of Toronto or Durham region area, come to the studio, do some recording. It is fairly good. Check for rates at insightrecorders.com. Affiliate programs. First one being Musician's Friend. Speaking of musicians... About 80% of you listening to the show right now are musicians. And where do you buy stuff except for going to that music store where there's that guy who sits there and grunts at you and gives you crappy service? You don't want that guy. You don't want grumpy Mr. Weratai guy, like at the Long McQuaid's. Go to musiciansfriend.com. So if you go to apolog.ca and click on the Musician's Friend banner on the right side, bookmark that banner and help support the show by shopping with Musician's Friend. Same program, actually, with Amazon.com. Banners there, Apolog.ca. Click on those banners, whether you're from Canada, America, or the UK. Shop and help support the show. Cost you no extra money, and that would be very cool. While you're there at Apolog.ca, check out Apolog.ca slash shop. And you can shop for a t-shirt, pre-order my new acoustic album that I'm working on, as well as buy the whole Foursquare discography for 20 bucks. It's a good deal. Patreon.com slash is a place that you can go to and pledge to the show. It's a monthly amount. You can pledge as much or as little as you want. You can cancel at any time. And what this pledging will do is support my gas fees and hosting fees. Current patrons right now are Michael Pitts and Curtis Pippen. And I really appreciate those guys coming on early and helping the show out. 
Like the show on Facebook, facebook.com slash Pod. Follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. I haven't said this in a few episodes, but if you go to iTunes, search out Apolog, whether you're on your computer or on your, um, your app, your podcast's app, subscribe to the show, okay? And while you're there, give it a little rate and a little review. That would be very helpful to me. It would be helpful to the show out. And uh, that'd be very cool, okay? There you go. All of them done, everybody. That's all the spots. Today on the show, I have Mr. Brad LaSalle. Brad and I kind of go back to mid-90s, I would say, early into late-90s, actually, mid to late-90s, where he played in a band called The Inner City Surfers. Before that, he was in a band called Damn 13. And before that, he was in a bunch of other bands that we're going to mention on this interview. Brad is a guy that I've known who has never, ever handed anybody lip service Ever. He says exactly what he feels. He has no social filter. He is a very cool guy. And I really all want you to know and love Mr. Brad LaSalle. So I'm going to play you a song that he just recorded. And there'll be a link to on the description where you can go purchase this song. It's called Little Bird. And it's one of my favorite songs that he ever wrote. And here it is. alone in a brick house down the road from me and never goes out waiting by a phone that never rings he had a bird once and every day his bird would sing a sweet song never flew away until one day he sang one Final love song And he loves until his heart broke And he cried sometimes when the little birds Sang their lonely love songs As the kids play An old oak tree that stands between their homes The roots get tangled in the clay And the tears roll Down a face that only tears have ever known And all this time reflecting back a past Could have fallen from no man's nameless eyes And she loves until her heart broke 
Brad LaSalle and Little Bird, everybody. Wasn't that a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful song? Kind of gets me choked up a little bit. During this interview, the train of thought sometimes, at least at the very start, kind of got a little bit weirded out where it would go in a direction and then immediately change in another direction. And all I can really sort of equate it to is that it was nerves on Brad's part, but I tried to jump in there while we're doing it just to keep you on track because... Brad just assumed that we all know who it was talking about. But here he is, everybody. My friend, Brad LaSalle, on the Apple Podcast. I was a kid there was uh i kind of put things into two categories between like ripcord style punk rock and random killing style punk rock yeah so one that's like three chords and a more like the punk rock i like mm-hmm. and then there was the random killing style punk rock which was more like straight well dri after crossover yeah so i liked and you can use dri as a perfect example i like the first dri record and then i like crossover and four of a kind but those are two different that's a different band yeah do you know what i mean yeah i it's it's a little threat it's more thrash than it is punk rock i guess but anyway that's the kind of band he has but um who's this again destroy mike yeah destroy it they're called they have a decent and uh uh john conway's in that band he was in face down i know that band yeah and with dave's brother brian was in that band okay face down that album you made was one of the best records and it i don't think they ever did anything with it but everybody that listens to it like dave and i will say that album's awesome Mm -hmm. and it's so far removed from it almost feels like it's not a band from town that was short lived, but I did see them at, um, 
I lived down the street from the generator yeah. and there was a BFG show. So I went to see BFGs and face down played the best. It was it, because the generator was right across the street from the triple nine club there, the yep. mental hospital. Yeah. Yeah. So after the gig, that's by classic studios, right? And up north on uh, Ossington, Ossington and Queen, and Ossington and Queen. Yeah. So, uh, yes. So just up Ossington was classic studio. Yeah. Which is where the generator was on the corner. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. they used to do like uh punk rock Mondays where they would feed all the squeegee kids. I actually got the first second time I was beat up by a girl was in the generator. <laughs> I was taking a leak in the bathroom and I turned and there was a squeegee girl in there. So I said, I was hammered. I said, you either have a dick or you want dick. And then it was just fucking squeegee, like coming at my head. It was brutal. So I take it and I'm kind of like, what? And I, I kind of get out of there. So I run up to the bouncer and I go, Hey man, this chick just attacked me in the bathroom. And as I'm saying it, this other squeegee guy comes walking over to me and he's like, Oh, I'm really sorry, man. My girlfriend's crazy. As he's saying that she's like, he's facing me. She's coming this way, like a windmill coming at me with her squeegee. I think she, uh, I remember getting hit twice and that's the last thing I remember. Holy I shit. Laying right on the ground. Squeegee bleeding. Pumps. Yeah. But then after we go outside in the, in the, across the street and there happened to be a group of, looked like lacrosse guys. I think they were lacrosse, like jocks, like yeah. full blown jocks, like 92 jocks <laughs> and a whole bunch of squeegee punks. So I'm then a big circle and they start to one the captain of the lacrosse team and joe blow squeegee punk start fist fighting right there in the front lawn of the mental hospital and i'm laughing at the irony of it all <laughs> like this is unbelievable i can't believe i'm seeing this when was this oh my god 92 maybe really 93 so you've been down there that long you were down there yeah, that early 93 I, I went down i think when did you so that's when you first moved down there yeah i was 17 wow yeah. Did you move out you move out of the house, obviously. Yeah, yeah. We uh the Was that when the surfers came down the first time? No. Uh I went down with a, a band I was in called Room Two O Six. Yeah. And it was me and Dave yeah. and Al Watson and um Michael York was the singer. Mm -hmm. And we had actually gotten Trouble Charger had come to the Sioux. I think they had changed their name from N C seventeen to Trouble Charger uh, literally a week before. Yep. So when they came to the Sioux, they said, uh, uh, I still have the poster for it at home, actually. But they came to my house and they uh, wanted to hang out and we made posters and, you know, all that. This is in Toronto. No, this was in the Sioux, in the Sioux okay. before we left. Yeah, okay. So we ended up, they said, we're making, I think it was their second record. And they said, we're making a CD-ROM. And it was the first of its kind. Mm -hmm. They said, we want you on it. So they made this CD-ROM that you could put into your computer. And back then it was, nobody had computers at home. Mm -hmm. And nobody knew anything about the internet at all. Like, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. Nobody did. But they kind of had a, an idea of where things were going. Mm-hmm. So, but they made this CD-ROM and I think on it was Hayden, uh, us, uh, Gorp, Trunk. I know Trunk, yeah. I like, recorded Trunk. Bands like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was, uh, you know, 
one name bands, two name bands, three name bands, and you'd click on it and then go mm-hmm. in and there'd be a little clip of uh of Greg interviewing us uh in the stairwell at I think it was Sonic Onion in yep. Hamilton. Yep. Yeah. Uh in the stairwell there. And we were just you know, we were kids and You're saying this is ninety two? I think it was ninety two. Might have been like ninety five. It sounds like a ninety five ish. Maybe thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. You could possibly yeah, be yeah. right by then. Yeah. So then our drummer at the time, Al, wanted to go to school at Harris. Yep. So he ended up going, deciding to go to Harris to learn how to be an engineer. And then we just said, well, let's just go to Toronto. So we did. And right away, we ended up on a compilation called uh, Punk the Next Generation that actually did really, really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What label put that out again? Um, I, I All I remember is the guy's name was Robert Petey. Yeah, I don't remember that name. No. I, I, I know the name, though. It's a, it's, a, it's a West End Toronto thing, right? Yeah, I don't know what... I don't really know anything about it, but we ended up doing, like... Um, um, It did really well. It was on... Uh, Sam the Record Man used to have, like, an indie chart, and it was number one on that indie chart for months. Mm-hmm. So we went there, basically... You know, a big fish in a small pond here. Yeah. Get there and get a reality check real quick. Yeah, the but then yeah. we played two shows that were mediocre. And then it was like being here. Mm-hmm. Massive amounts of people started coming to see us. Mm-hmm. But we were really young and really haywire. And, you know, but there was, um, there ended up being like a little weekend tour that they split into two parts. So we were on one night. And the rip chords were on the first night. So they'd play Friday night because they were on that compilation as well. And then we would follow him behind on Saturday with another set of bands from that record. So we got a phone call from, I think it was Paul God at the time and said, listen, because uh, we were playing, they played the Corktown on the Friday and we were going to play it on the Saturday. And he said, don't go. We went last night and it was full of skinheads and they jumped us and beat us and don't go. So we were like scared and said, well, screw it. Let's just do it anyway. They loved us. Mm-hmm. These skin, I thought I had AIDS. These skinheads were bleeding and hugging me and we were really poppy and I thought they were going to hate us, but they loved <laughs> us. It was the weirdest frigging thing ever of all time. But we ended up uh, playing there for quite a while. And then we did a bunch of shows with, trouble charger upstairs at the alma combo yes but nobody was there they were at most 40 people and but he kind of liked us and since then i don't but he was really helpful when we had first started and and went to toronto Mm because he was kind of known and i thought i'd interject here folks but well, who we're talking about right here is greg nori from trouble charger okay just so we can avoid the confusion thanks let's go back to the interview it was good to have him kind of champion us for a little while absolutely but then it all fell to shit and then uh but that's when because i was writing in york i would write the songs and york would sing them mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden i was in a position because he took off and went back to the Sioux, and uh, i was in a position where i thought well now who's gonna sing the songs mm-hmm. so then i started to try to do it it's the early days of yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. now i'm because before it was easy for me i could write the songs and give them to a guy that could sing and yeah. it worked 
but then all of a sudden he was gone and I had nobody to sing, so I had no choice. You just picked it up. Yeah, yeah so yeah. I just started singing. You've always been bass player in band too, right? Yeah. 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 Never played picked up the guitar? No. Never never any sort of no. Oh no, yeah, no, I did. Uh I think I did two shows like with the role models moniker and we would come like the surfers would come to town to play and we'd do big shows at Foggies and be a complete insanity. And then on the Sunday night, Trevor Harding, who played in the spigots and he owned a bar down the street called the downbeat that was smaller. So I would just throw a band together real quick. That's here in the Sioux, right? Yeah. 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 And get him to play bass. And then, you know, whoever Alexis on drums and I'd get, and Dave and Terry and a bunch of other crazy drunken crazies. And we'd rehearse for one day and do the show. Yeah. But that was the only time I ever played guitar on stage. That's sort of a cool small town thing, right? Like, we're actually, I should actually mention that I'm actually in Sault Ste. Marie and I'm, I'm at Dustin Jones's title record studio. And the fact that being in a small town had its, even though the Sault Ste. Marie isn't really a small town, it has that small town feel where yeah. you could do something like that. Yeah. It's kind of almost like it can be done in Toronto as well, but it feels better here. Yeah, it does. And yeah. the community is a little better, a little more supportive in certain ways. In other ways, it's competitive. Mm-hmm. but not as much as a bigger city. Right. You know, but odds are you're going to, if whatever kind of band you're in, you're going to have to play with these other guys. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's yeah some kind of, there's only connection. so many people in town yeah. that played so yeah. certain type of music that you could, well, that's it. And not only just the musicians, but the, the people who want to hear that music. It's a small group small too. community too. Yeah. You know, it's bigger now than it was, you know, when we were kids, obviously, mm-hmm. but it got bigger as time went on. There was a guy here that did a book called, uh, going underground, the history of punk rock in small town, Canada. And it's an abomination. And the guy's a douchebag. <laughs> well, he was that guy that used to take pictures at shows and then want you to pay for them. Yeah. It's, well, it's funny when we're front when done this, I want you to pay for this recording. We just yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's the kind of guy he was. Yeah. yeah you know, and yeah. you would hang out at the, we, there, we used to have like a, we call it the punk rock Tim's on the hill yeah. and all the kind of punk rockers would hang out there on the weekends. And this guy would go there and he was older than all of us. And he would show up only for certain bands and then want them to pay for the photographs. So he ended up using those photographs he took in a book and he got it all wrong Nothing mm-hmm. in that book was accurate. He didn't even spell my name or Dave's name right. Mm-hmm. Like you could have just punched it up on the computer and saw. There's no fact checking. It was sort nothing. of like his story. Yeah, kind yeah. of. But it, that's a problem. That's that's a problem sometimes if you are so driven to do something that sometimes you just don't get it right. Yeah. Well, he's like, uh, you know, when the shows moved to the princess, they died. And, and I scratched that's my his head. Opinion. Yeah. And it's like, that's when we got. 3,000 people to the shows, mm-hmm. not 200. But he's being all punk rock by saying that this is, it's no longer punk rock, it's turned into the mainstream, which is untrue. Because, yeah, totally you know, untrue. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was so terrible. The guy was terrible. But anyway, that was the document. That's the, the standing document now of what happened in this town as far as underground music went from, you know, say 78 to 96. Mm-hmm. So now that, definitive That's document yeah. is 
inaccurate and wrong. Mm -hmm. So if somebody picked that up and, and looked at it, they would get all the information, the information wrong. wrong. Yeah. Which is sad. That's a sad story. It was you? such a great time, especially in the Sioux for that. You came. Yeah. You came up here in your little mobile van that's right, that's and right. and we're recording bands up here yeah. when you had just started. That's right. So there was a, a community here that recognized what you were capable of yeah. and wanted to take advantage of that. Absolutely. You know, we had a studio here called Satellite Sounds that was uh, run by a guy named Blinky Bob. And we have it on videotape somewhere because everybody would go in and say, hey, Bob, what time is it? And you would do like put his hand right close to his eyeball and look at his watch. And when he was at the board, he would, he couldn't be further than two inches away from it's like bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> but the real bubbles. Yeah. 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 Unbelievable. This guy. But when the, when the, he was used to doing like, um, commercial jingles and things like that. And as soon as the first crop of like, you know, punk rock kind of bands started going in, he had no idea what to do. He, sure. So he was kind of saying, well, what saying to us at 13 years old, what, 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 <laughs> what do what, I do? Yeah. What do I do? How do I do this? Yeah. You guys are loud and the sound is crazy. And do I just record it as it is? Yeah. You know? And so we, but that's what we had done was, um, because there were three bands in town that had all the popularity and all the bands that didn't work as hard as we did wanted to get on those shows and just play for the big crowd that was we struggled to get yeah yeah <laughs> so we said well no so we kept we made a little there was us uh room 206 the spigots and the kiting maples they were called which had uh frank adachio on bass ryan gassi on drums dave on guitar bahan mm -hmm. on guitar uh and a couple different singers and we were the three kind of most popular bands at the time so we would and we were broke and, you know, drunk and doing all kinds of crazy things all the time. So we had no money, but we would set it up. So the, the first weekend we'd headline and take all the money. And then the next weekend we would play first and spigots would headline and they'd take all the money. Mm -hmm. And then we did that over the course of a couple months and each of us, banked all the cash and went in and made a record at this blinky studio mm -hmm. so that was the very first time we had ever even considered the idea of recording yeah, yeah. documenting these songs yeah, yeah. at this time yeah definitely with this group and it was really crazy yeah but that's how you know and we were isolated so we we kind of all we knew was what we saw from the other bands no big bands had come through we had no inspiration from other people, so we had kind of just cool. built our own little world, and it it worked in line with later how you read, like, you know, Joey Shithead's book or whatever. They were doing the same kind of thing, but we didn't know that. Just at making the time. up the rules. Just yeah, doing, yeah, we didn't know that there were other pockets of people like us in other places yeah, that would welcome it. us in. Yeah, yeah. You know, the first time we reached out to Sudbury, they were, you know, uh, Paul Lohenberg had a band called Bleak. They were really great. And he was running the townhouse, townhouse even then yeah, yeah. and said, uh, yeah, heard you come on down, you know, yeah. and can we come to the Windsor and do a show at the Windsor park with you? Yeah. So then we started going, holy cow, right there is Sudbury and they're doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. So now we can, you know, so we weren't as scared when we had 
decided to go to Toronto. I had never been there ever. Mm-hmm. So I got when on was a, this around? Like late 80s? When I went to Toronto? No, no, when all this like, the yeah, networking. Yeah, 89, 90, yeah, the, yeah. like the very end of the 80s mm-hmm. and the very beginning of the 90s, mm-hmm. sort of been 91. So sort of around the time when the like punk rock kind of just sort of came back. Yeah, there yeah. was a weird time where we started playing and then and the crowds were small, like 40 people. Yeah. But then you started to kind of hear about like bleach and Nirvana's bleach. Yeah. yeah there's yeah. something happening. And, and the, yep. the, the people are the same guys that used to chase me home and beat me up. Started asking me for mixtapes. Yeah. So I, I thought, Oh, th- something's happening. Yeah. So then the crowd started to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And pretty soon it, they were, it was huge because everybody kind of jumped on that rock and roll bandwagon, which was good. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of those people that, you kind of scoffed at then saying, oh, you're just trendy and doing this because it's the fad. But it was a revolt against hair metal, which was exactly, atrocious. And it was exactly that. And it was um, a lot of those people, that was their introduction to rock and roll, and they stayed with it. So yeah. at the in the long run, they weren't really just jumping on a trend. They actually helped. It helped them become who they sure. would later be. Yeah. So that's good news. Yeah, and when everybody sort of jumps on the Nirvana green day bandwagon then the other people sort of move on and then music is forwarded yeah you know like especially with taste yeah taste music or well yeah because the bands that started coming out after that were not just uh you know straight up minor threat black flag punk rock they started to get more experimental and you know sonic youthy and tried to do more kind of go make bigger circles yeah yeah, Which definitely. was awesome. It was a neat time in the early nineties. So it was sure. it was good for me because I wrote these like kind of poppy rock songs, but I also did these kind of weird country songs that I liked. That I thought, I thought it was the same because Gigi did it, mm-hmm. and the Meat Puppets had these country songs that I liked. So I didn't really see a big stretch between kind of weird country music and punk rock. I thought it was all the same you're right because around the time is the start of like uncle tuplo like yeah. them, them getting huge yeah. even though they've been a band for a while yeah. but the whole alt country movement yeah. was a huge thing and i think the boundary is winnipeg between winnipeg and this side of winnipeg and that side of winnipeg it seemed like alt country really kind of made a huge yeah huge you know influence on, on music over yeah. that side. well that's kind of funny that when i was in after york had took off from 206 i i went and played uh, I used to be a drug dealer mm-hmm. and I used to sell her tons of blow. <laughs> and uh, he had asked me cause he would come over and I'd play songs and he said, well, look, I'm doing this uh, comic book thing on Sunday afternoon. Would you mind coming down and playing a few songs for yeah. it? This is in Toronto. Yeah. yeah. So I did. And it was very like my kind of version of country. Kinda, I guess it's called, I don't know, but it's, acoustic based songs that are yeah. country-ish i yeah. guess and the people there there was a weird kind of i could kind of see it where they they didn't want it listened for a second started to go you know what this isn't what i was expecting then by the end of it they were all into it and yeah. all these girls were saying like there was a couple girls there that had said uh what you're doing is really interesting 
And then they asked me, this girl asked me, would you play at the art gallery, like the AGO? Mm-hmm. So I did. Uh, I, the weirdest thing in the whole wide world. Yeah. But then right after that, too, is after playing all these country songs, then uh, Adam Sewell called me and said, will you play bass for uh, Monster Voodoo Machine Broke Up? We're replacing a couple guys. Would you come and right. do this? Adam Sewell is the singer of the band Monster Voodoo Machine. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. then he said, we're going to call it Damn 13. Will you join the band? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, well... Dallas Dean Bentley was in that band. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I said... Uh, and I knew Dean, and I think that's how Adam got my Diane, name. Yeah, was yeah. through hearing from me about me from Dean. Dean is the so, connection maker for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's awesome. Mm-hmm. I said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll join," but Dave had moved back from Toronto and moved back to the Sioux. Yep. Dave and I hug. said, yeah. "I said I'll do it if you take Dave." And they. I don't even know. I think Dean convinced Adam that Dave was good. Yeah. And said, uh, the next day he called me and said, yeah, call your friend and tell him to come. So I said, awesome. So I called Dave and I said, look, uh, there's this band. They want me. They want you. Let's do this. So we did. We joined AM13. We made, it felt like we were in the studio a lot, mm-hmm. but we. I don't think he ever really released much from it. I think one of the albums mm-hmm. that came out was... Uh, Blackheart, Northern Soul that we played on. You must have been at the Hallam Music a lot, right? Hallam Music? That's where we recorded, yeah. yeah. On Hallam? Or down in the city at this point? Yeah, it was in in the basement. Yeah, I remember there was, uh, like, not too long before that was the break-in where everybody... Yeah, you got robbed. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, people came out Everybody in Monster Machine got robbed at gunpoint. Yeah. And they stole all the stuff and duct-taped Adam to the the chair. And yeah, I heard that story. Yeah, that was right then. Okay. So was it, was, it during Monster Voodoo Machine or, or Damn 13 recording it, when you got robbed? Monster Voodoo. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, I think this was the first time that those particular guys went back into that studio Oh, <laughs> since yeah. the ordeal. Yeah. And they were all kind of still... Freaked sh- out. Yeah, yeah, like, I couldn't imagine getting robbed at gunpoint <laughs> and taped. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, especially... Scary. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Understatement of the year. Yeah, Yeah. it's terrible. Yeah, I feel super bad for them. Yeah, but you know the thing was is that Damn Thirteen was super. We loved it at first. Yeah, Uh, we did like a couple shows with um, uh, upstairs at the Alma Combo with uh, like Sinisters, and so there was this kind of uh, uh, Robin Black that was kind of happening. Yeah, so this weird like glam thing people started doing, and then. We had this kind of rock and roll helicopters or backyard babies. I think that's what Adam was in, into at the time. Yep. So that's what the band was kind of so, sounding like. Yeah, is this around 95? Yeah. Six? It's got to be around right around Because I'm trying to think when Monster Voodoo broke up, Machine broke up. Yeah, I can't. I don't even remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then they, um, the songs were very misfitsy, backyard babies like rock and roll, straight ahead rock and roll. But then after the third or fourth time we were in the studio, uh it started he started with like samples and loops and yeah started back to monster machine yeah started to kind of fall back on what he was comfortable with yeah and as much as i loved the songs i didn't i started to not love them as much Mm -hmm. and then uh we did a show at um we did a bunch of shows and then we did a show at the warehouse with fear factory wow 
and it was full. And Dave and I were kind of standing there, and I said, do you see any girls here? <laughs> he said, no. I said, do you want to do this? He said, no. So I said to Adam, like, I think we're going to have to yeah, kind of move on. Yeah. Like, there was no girls, and we wanted to do it for kind of girls. Yeah. And at the time, Dustin and I, Dustin was in London, and we were writing songs over the phone, talking on the phone all the time, and writing songs over the phone. Right at that very time, a friend of ours in London was having a birthday party and asked if Dustin would put something together and play it. So he called, and we went and did this birthday thing, which was ended up getting crazy because after we were in a bar called seeps, I think. And, uh, this guy, I had my hair all, I was wearing a visor with the top out and I had all my hair kind of sticking out of this thing. And he said, so I'm walking, I, I order a couple beers and I'm walking and the guy, the first guy shoulders me kind of spins me right around. And the, the guy, I go, what the fuck was that for? And the guy goes, what did you, the guy behind him goes, what did you say? I said, that was fucking ridiculous. What did you do that for? He's like, hang on a second. And he goes and gets the other guy. And the guy starts pushing me. I go, you're a bitch. He goes, he started saying something about, I'm a fucking bitch. I'm a bitch. And he started pushing me. So he pushed me back to the point where I was kind of right parallel with the table on my guys, like York and Dustin. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I go, uh, it's something's going to happen. You guys got my back. They're like, yeah. So I just smashed a beer ball and went out his throat with it. And he, just as I was kind of coming across one of the bouncers who also was from the Sioux, Gordy McChesney kind of grabbed like my arm and kind of hugged onto me yeah. and started kind of walking me out. And I guess the guy was standing there all freaked out. Like he was a big giant. You're going to fucking bottle him. This guy was going to kill me though. I yeah, had no yeah. choice. I'm small. So he, but I guess he was standing there all like white, like, oh my what God. What the hell just happened? Yeah. Yeah. And then I hear over the speaker, they usher me out the front. I hear over the speaker because the, the, uh, most of the bouncers there were Sioux guys. Mm -hmm. I hear over the speaker, they took him out back. And I hear over the speaker, if you're from the Sioux, come out back. So I know that. That guy probably got a bit of a Yeah, he got a beating. <laughs> yeah. But it was, I was all shook up over it for quite a while. Like, yeah. Yeah, no, it's frightening. Yeah, it's so weird being in a sucker punchy kind of situation where people look at you and they take a they take a their own uh, snapshot of who you are. Yeah, yeah, I've been sucker punched, and it especially sucks, at that time when people were really not happy with the changes that were happening. Yeah, so weirder guys started to the girl that they liked said no to them for some skateboarder. Yeah. And now they resent and hate yeah. anybody that's not at the gym three times a week yeah. working on their lats and glutes. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, Sounds like a German soup, doesn't it? Yeah, lats and glutes. it's actually delicious. It's <laughs> <laughs> Some lats and glutes the other night. Yeah, it was good. Well, yeah. Little uh, fishy. Yeah, little, little fishy. steroids on the side and you're good to go. <laughs> Yeah, so we're coming up to what, like 96, 97-ish, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know the timelines. Yeah, that sounds about right, though. But anyway, that's kind of what was happening. So yeah. I, I just, you know, but I just kept writing songs, and I, it's like I do now. I don't play live. I don't go out. I don't have any aspirations, but I'm always writing songs. Mm -hmm. So every once in a while, I'll call Dustin, is usually the first guy, and say, okay, this is the song this is what i got have a listen and he's 
because him and I, when we were 12, maybe 11, uh, he would come to my house and I would, I was just learning how to play guitar. I couldn't play anybody else's songs. So I started writing my own yeah. and Dustin would sit on my floor in my bedroom and we'd put the little tape deck and hit record and we'd play these and write these weird little songs. But we'd been doing that our whole lives over the phone. Yeah. That's and romantic. Then, and then, yeah, that yeah. we did when he was in college. Yeah. But when we were in grade six, we were doing it in my bedroom, you know, and yeah. he was, it, it was fantastic. So he was good at, always good at kind of helping get me out of my shell and not be scared. And he was always the best guy to, if we were at a party, he'd get, people would look at him and he'd say, wait a second you need to be quiet for one minute and listen to this guy play a song. And so okay. everybody would listen to Dustin and look at me and go, and then I'd play the song and it helped get me kind of moving. Yeah. 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 Uh, having a, especially somebody, a close friend like that, that's back you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. It still is awesome. And I still, to this day, call him with every song I have. You that's know? incredible. That's incredible. That's a bond. You can't shake that bond. That's a brotherly no. bond yeah. that a lot of people would be lucky to have. Yeah. Is that that relationship where it's anybody at any time. Who who would you call at any time? I always say I, when it comes to them, uh, to especially Dave and, and Dustin and Mike even, is right or wrong, my friends are always right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I don't give a shit if they're wrong. I'll, I'll fight for them because it's whatever they say it is. That's it. Yeah. No, that's that's definitely, and that's a code. And you guys, when the surfers, when I first met the surfers, this is the first time I ever spoke to you on the phone. And I, I think I've told the story, not on this show, but the first time I ever met you, you called my house from the <laughs> studio. And you're like, hey, man, we're a band. And honestly, I thought it was a prank call. No way. Because from what you were saying, because I'm like, how, I think, I don't know how, how did I, you how did this of, all happen? I don't even remember, call, honestly. I don't even know how we met. I know that you probably knew about me from coming up here and recording bands. That part we kind yeah. of solidified. But when you got my number, we're trying to figure out how you got my number. I have no idea. And neither do I. But you had already recorded one CD at this point. I think it was that the that green the, one. The blue one, yeah. The blue one, I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we did the green one. <laughs> yeah. But um, the idea was like, hey, I'm Brad. I play in a band called the Inner City Surfers. And I'm like, okay. And I've been prank called before. you know. So I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Yeah, I'm like, what do you sound like? Oh, I can't explain. And I'm like, oh, okay, this sounds like a prank call. And I don't think I actually said it. But I was talking to Mikey about this yesterday. I said, if I would have said, fuck off and hung up, maybe you'd call, maybe you wouldn't. Oh, I would have called you right back. <laughs> that was the question. Because like, if you never called me back and I hung up on you, the world of, of what, yeah, you know, what we went through. Yeah, it would have been so different. It would have been a completely different yeah. world for me. Yeah. And it was the fact that I met you guys, goddamn, almost 20 years ago now. Yeah. You know? I don't think, uh, I think, especially with the first record the surfers made was so, it was very distinctly uh, Dustin's songs and my yeah, songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the, but then when we went in with the green record, because of the way we are together, there is not one single human being on the fucking planet that would have understood or got the humor or got it, but you did. <laughs> so it was like that, I don't know. Well, it was it, two of my favorite types of music, that's why. 
you well, know, like because yeah. I enjoy, I love, I love Sunvolt, I love Uncle Tuplo, I love yeah. Wilco, yeah. and then I love Green Day, I yeah. love the things, and that's kind of what the surfers are. Yeah, there's a there's a mix of yeah. both of those. Yeah, that is so inherently you and so inherently Dustin. Yeah, and Mike even yeah. has his own. Yeah, you know, you oh know? yeah, and just the style. I just think that nobody else could have made that Green record, and that was part of the process of of becoming a, a cohesive group. Yeah. So without you navigating us and providing us later with a document of this mm -hmm. to say, okay, this is what works and this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Like, especially when now, when I, especially with Dustin, with this studio, he, he talks a lot about most of his job is keeping bands from killing each other and breaking up. <laughs> and it bothers me yeah. because why are you even in a band with these guys if you don't want to be around them? Yeah, everybody has their own agenda in bands. And I never noticed that with you guys. You know, there was never like, I have my agenda. I've played in bands where we've all had our own agendas. And sometimes it works and most of the times it doesn't. Yeah, I was listening to the podcast you did with Al Nolan. Yeah, and yeah. You, you get that idea in there. But yeah. there's always that, uh, you know, shared moments that that are timeless so that no matter what happens 20 30 40 years from now you're still friends absolutely yeah. so but still it fizzled out and everybody had to go their own ways but with the surfers even though we're not really doing anything we're not really broken up either we're it's your record tomorrow yeah we can do it anytime yeah, yeah but I, I i was in a band once called leah's valley and uh, the singer of that band recently passed away, but he was a fucking asshole. He faked cancer. What? Yeah, pulled it off. Wow. Like, faked cancer. How'd he die? Uh, sepsis. Oh. So, junky needles. Yeah, okay. junky needles. Yeah. But anyway, he was the singer in that band. And every time I jammed, there was a fight between the members. So, I did one show with them, and I said... It was my first that. real kind of band. Yeah. So I said, this is not how it's supposed to be. So I put together a group with the guy that lived four doors down from me and the guy who lived four doors down from him. I didn't know. I didn't care if they were good. Mm -hmm. I just said, we're friends. We walk to school every day. Just make a band. We're, we're in a band now. And here's the songs. Yeah. I already wrote yeah. five songs. Yeah. Here we go. Now, do you obviously like... I don't even know. Do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I have a brother and a sister. Yeah. So how's your family? Your family's pretty tight when you were younger? No. No. Not at all. So so this explains a lot. Yeah. That you needed this yeah. brotherly, this yeah. camaraderie yeah. that was missing in home. Yeah. So, so you're almost like making your own family. Yeah. And and if I can speak out of school with Al, that was his thing too. He yeah. needed He needed yeah. something to, to call his. Oh, absolutely. His. And he still, to this day... Uh, like when I did that bear video last week, he yeah. sent me the most heartfelt letter, you know. Sorry, breaking it again. Um, we started talking about something and either something went wacky with the recording, but then we got on the topic of drummers. Not exactly what drummer we were talking about or how this went, but we'll just carry on. We're talking about drummers now. My favorite drummer is Mark Mudo. Yeah, Mudo. He's my favorite. My uh, we, favorite Sue drummer. We played, uh, I jammed with him four days ago. He's awesome. He's still awesome. He must be more awesome because this was '95, I think, when I recorded that trunk, uh, gut wrench or gut wrench. I think uh, trunk. Yeah, not gut wrench. Three AM. No, it was. They changed their name. Yeah, but uh, listen to this story. Yeah. So we're in 206. Uh, Watson comes to me 
and says, I got this letter in my locker. You got to see this. And it said, um, hello, uh, Al and Brad, this is, uh, Mark and Mike. They had come through the high school for a tour, a high school tour Mm -hmm. with their elementary school. Mm -hmm. And they said, we're big fans of room 206 and we'd really like to meet you. Uh, we have a little band ourselves. Will you come see us? So I said, you know what? Fuck this. Let's go. Sure enough. We pull into this driveway. The mother comes running out and says, the boys are going to be ecstatic. Like she was almost in tears thinking like treating us. We were like, no, no, no. We're just high school kids. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, She goes, not to them. We can hear them rehearsing one of our songs in the garage. So we go in there and they got this big banner they made that said room 206 with a big rocket ship on it. (laughs) And they were playing our tunes. And as soon as we walk in, their faces turned white. It was, I I was blown away by it. I could not believe it. But since then I've been really good friends and play a lot with Mark. Yeah. Dave and I were just there a week ago. Mark bought the princess. I know. I was heard about that. So we went in there. He said, I just got the electricity going, come in on, uh, I think it was Wednesday night. They came and picked me up. I went there. It was me, Dave, Marco, Petalino from Lion Ride and Noodle. And we jammed all night. That's fun. In the princess. Yeah. Because I know I recorded Mark and it was, I'm pretty sure it was gut wrench. Yeah, it might have been gut wrench. And that sounds and right. It was Super Bowl Sunday, and I was recording in their basement, and they were in their garage. Mm-hmm. In their ba- in their garage, maybe the same garage you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we ran the snake, and it was cold. Yeah, oh yeah. And uh, and I ran it out the window, and I was watching Super. Bowl. See, I I really wonder how they got the idea to call you. See, this is what I used to do. I used to go through town with SNFU and meet bands yeah. and say, "I like your band," and. And I know how this is Eric Weller from from um, Meathead Records. Oh, and he Thunder had Bay? a reach. He had a reach. Was with that his, a Thunder Bay? Guy? Yeah, Thunder Bay. Yeah. Okay. He had a reach with um, Head yeah. Cramp. Yeah. And Head Cramp, I had recorded. Yeah. So this is how I started meeting well, <laughs> people through because I would give Eric a deal if he found bands for me to record. Right. He was almost my my Ontario manager. Yeah, guy. yeah, yeah. And Scout. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I met. And there was another band I can't remember. We recorded at their camp. See, we played with you. Um, at the princess. At the princess. I don't know if you. I don't. No. 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 When uh, trigger happy. No, I you wasn't in trigger in it, happy. Eh? That was with um, the other band that played. They run raw energy as well. Because I remember after that gig, uh, the drummer played naked. I was naked. Yeah. Uh, after the gig, they had hotel rooms at the Canadian, <laughs> and uh, I convinced. I say breakfast there today. Uh, how was it? Yeah, it was good. Yeah. yeah, I like the West Side. Yeah, that's where I go. <laughs> um. They had, I had convinced Peter, the guy who owns the princess at the time. Yeah. I said, you got to let me take a bottle and a case. And he hummed and hawed and I'll get in trouble. I said, I'm taking it. Like <laughs> just basically, I'm just telling you to mark just it Just let down. you know. Yeah. I'm taking the fucking drinks. Yeah. So I, I end up up at the Canadian. It was about three o'clock in the morning when I got there and about 1130 the next day when I left that room. But holy, I don't know. I even know if they, I think most of them were asleep and I just stayed there getting hammered the whole time. Just <laughs> like, it was really crazy. I ended up calling my girlfriend to pick me up and I was, I guess I'd passed out by a dumpster and it was a disaster. Right, awesome. Right. Really yeah, yeah. awesome. But that was really fun for me because I wasn't meeting bands that often. So it was cool to kind of meet a band that I thought was really great. And 
hang out and talk to them and not want anything from them or them not want anything sure. from me. You know, I just yeah. wanted to kind of be around it and see what their vibe was. Yeah, there was times on those trigger the first trigger happy tour, I think the second one we did, we played in like Timmins. And it was the first punk rock show ever in Timmins. Yeah. That I was told of. Exactly. And we played in a basement and Jamie Dagg. You remember that name? No. He's a dude from Timmins. He lives in Toronto now. He's a he's a uh, film director. Oh wow. And he, he's like in like had show movies put all over. He put on a show in his basement and we did a show and then we did like Q&A and the basement wasn't much bigger. It's like probably 10 by 12 foot room that we did the show in. And we played a show, we sat down and everybody sat down and we had a Q&A. Like, what's it like in Toronto? Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's awesome. Yeah. But see what happened though? You inspired that one dude and yeah. now he goes on and has his career in the arts yeah. and whatever. He put Later on, he put Red Fisher shows on. But and- that, was what it, that was the big difference between the hair metal bands I saw in town and the community that wasn't the antithesis to that hair metal. Yeah. yeah. Those guys were like, we thought they were all just a joke. Some of them were talented. Most of them were not. Yeah. But there was no community. There's a circuit. There was a there was an A circuit. Yeah. And they would, clubs. well, and they would, uh, even the Eastgate, they would say, uh, they would do, uh, they would book a band for a week at a time. Yeah. And that's, yeah. they would do that. All these yeah. bands would come through yeah. and, do that circuit so they could keep the rock and roll lifestyle of being booked and and still being coddled in a way sm- as small as it was but have a gig yeah and then leave and move on to another show and it felt yeah. like you're a rock star yeah you might not have been a rock star no but it was a whole different vibe to what we yeah were they didn't get that we were doing one night and moving and packing people right into the place yeah you know like or it's, trying yeah it's crazy i i never got I mean, I can't really talk much about that stuff because I don't know anything about it. I just remember being a kid and seeing a guy with a white leather jacket with tassels and spandex pants doing a kick and a bunch of falsetto (laughs) things and just thinking, I don't want that. I'll do anything but that, you know? And then when bands like Trigger Happy would come through, you would get that community tribe vibe, you know? Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. The tribal thing is, you know, it sounds like that's important to you because it sounds like you maybe got, got a home. But the whole idea of, and that was sort of an idea of punk rock in general, is like a disenfranchised yeah. group of people yeah. who have no real relations to their family that made their own family. Well, that was friends. it. When I was young and started smoking dope and getting drunk on, you know, Tuesday morning at 11, there was a group of us and there was only a handful of guys that had, you know, Feeders records and Sperm Birds records and, uh, you know, Peter and the Test Tubes records and Dwarves records. And yeah. there's a very small community here. So that age group, I was about the youngest guy in that group at the time, but a lot of us would sit in, you know, Trevor Bono's basement and get wasted all day. And then they had a band called Jesus and the Cross Trainers and Piss Queen and Fist Magnet. And they would, it was all part, we were all, and a lot of those guys have since committed suicide and they're gone now. And, but there was a tight knit group of us. Once I started playing music, I was able to take the kind of the, the, the mentality that I got being it part of that group start by default, bringing other people into it. Cause it was a very closed group. You weren't getting in, Yeah. but I could being a musician kind of bring people in and then get on stage and, and make that life loud. So mm-hmm. now more people are inspired. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it gave, I don't know what the word is like it solidified and justified 
all of our misery together being kind of caught in the wrong time and yeah it, to get up on stage i'd be the rep for that get up on stage and celebrate our craziness and abuse and psychosis and all these other people would come and watch it and support it and cheer it on sure it gave validity to all of us <laughs> even though i was the only musician in that little group basically yeah. Now, did you feel like the the drugs were something that helped feel that, or was it something that hindered it later on? Like, what was the what was your intent? What was your feelings about all the drugs and the abuse and the? It's hard to say. Mostly, it was um, joyous and mm -hmm. fun. Yeah. Like at first, we were just smoking grass and drinking all the time, and then start, you know, taking lots of acid and mushrooms and doing tons of blow and drinking constantly, and it. To me, it was never, when I went home, I had no booze at home ever. But when I, as soon as I went on the road, it was a free for all. I would do everything and anything and the most I could do. Mm -hmm. But creatively or personally, or I was not the guy I've had friends, some that aren't with us that really struggled with abuse, like addiction. I never did. If I didn't want it, I would just say no maybe tomorrow but it was never constant with me to the point where i don't know i just i was talking to somebody about this the other day it's i don't really understand that addiction mindset i i understand partying your fucking face off for the sake of partying your face off but not letting that bleed into other things that's a isolated contained thing so and being in a band it gave me kind of carte blanche while drunk on a tuesday at noon he's in a band oh yeah so then it was okay so it never really bothered me as i got older though it wasn't as fun anymore like the, well, that's what always happens right? yeah, yeah you know i thought i would be that guy that smoked grass till i was dead but all of a sudden i just woke up one day and said to the you know the girl i was with where do i keep my pot she was mm -hmm. like you smoke pot yeah you know and it had been so then i kind of started thinking well oh my god it must have been a year i haven't smoked a joint in a year and yeah. i didn't even really realize that's what was happening mm -hmm. you know and that's how it is now yeah and i mean over the past 10 years you've kind of had some other yeah i've got health issues so and that's part of it too i think yeah is that i do uh piss tests every three weeks so right. that kind of and I have really bad um, allergies and reactions to medicines. Mm -hmm. So my biggest fear is Let mixing yeah. mixing something and ending up back in the hospital for fucking three weeks. Like, yeah. Well, talk no. a little bit about this, if you, if you, if you might. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it started in my early 20s. And I think part of why I would like party so much was to self-medicate, mm -hmm. you know, mentally and physically. But I, I started getting, um, which later is called femoral subluxation so my femur would slide out of my hip socket and i would get all twisted up and couldn't walk or lift my uh, hips up so i started going to the hospital what happened it would go out and it would stay out for the first time it was out for four weeks mm -hmm. then it would just go back in on its own and then a month later it would pop out and it would be out for three weeks and then it wouldn't happen for two or three months then it would happen again four weeks recovery and it just kept 
happening like that. Mm-hmm. So later they found out it was femoral subluxation, which is they, the first time I heard that word, the doctor said, it looks like femoral subluxation, but that's impossible because it only happens in uh, dogs and cattle. So, you know, I'm out of a diagnosis again and sent home. So then as time went on, uh, they've discovered stenosis and disc disease and all these other things happening in my spine and hips. And then, so I'd been struggling with that. Mm-hmm. So I go in like on Thursday, I, I went in, I lay on my, stu- on my stomach. Uh, they stick a, a needle in my epidural, that little spot near yep. the bottom of your spine. It goes in about six inches. It's hurts like crazy. Then I get between 80 and 110, maybe 120 injections all up my spine, all through my ass and hips. And they just, it's like a, it's like having an epidural for having a baby. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly that. Yeah. yeah, but instead of getting it once and complaining for 30 years about getting it, yeah. I get it every month, every two months. Right, right. And it's pretty potent stuff, but bad, huh? it hurts. Like, it hurts. You're having a spinal tap, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it freezes me and, and is supposed to kind of grease up my SI joints. So it, later, I ended up in uh, uh, having a problem with my hips, and then it kind of moved to my elbow like a palindromic arthritis it's called right. where it moves around okay so i thought oh i just slept on it wrong and it's inflamed and whatever this went on for a couple of weeks went to the hospital because of the way i look they thought i was looking for drugs sent me said it was a thursday they said we'll give you a couple tylenol go to the walk-in on tuesday so i i was in a lot of pain so i went back the next morning luckily there was a different doctor she said uh, i remember her saying how long has this been happening? And then I woke up with my feet pressed against a pilot seat in the air, like in this tiny little tin can airplane flying over Northern Ontario, going to the hospital in Thunder Bay. Wow. So then where was this from here? From, uh, out of Coke. And I oh, was right, blown out. You had moved. Yeah, I've yeah. gone up there for Christmas. Right. Okay. And when was this in December? Okay. So yeah. So like a, yeah. a year ago. Yeah. So you kind of you kind of blacked out and then ended up in a plane. Yeah. <laughs> so they, I was terrified, and the yeah. the girl beside me, the nurse beside me, was like uh, they had an IV in and they were click sure. click 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 giving you morphine. And, and they told my mom, my mom told them he's allergic to muscle relaxers, but didn't tell them about the morphine. Mm-hmm. And I, I, the allergies to muscle relaxers will anaphylactic shock out my tongue, eyes swell, mm-hmm. I can't breathe, I it's really bad and scary yeah. the the side effects that i get to morphine are are uh really i get really angry and aggressive mm-hmm. i get super short-tempered and i get super aggressive it's really weird it's weird because that's not you really yeah that I, I know <laughs> exactly so i and yeah. i didn't really notice it when it when i first discovered this was happening a while ago and it subsequently destroyed my family life and everything else i had a yeah. i was gonna get married and that didn't work out and yeah. it was all because i was on this morphine and and yelling and angry yeah once i stopped taking the morphine and everything kind of i went oh my god that's what it is fuck this shit i'm not taking that ever again so the girl beside me and i'm scared eh like even though I love, I used to love drugs, all drugs, uh, especially stuff like like acid or mushrooms. I love that. But what was it like? Stop yourself. Like, what what was that part of it? Was it were you escaping? Was it something that sort of would? I don't know. I think I loved the idea of 
I know something the straightos don't. Okay. Like, yeah, I can navigate this. Even when I first started kind of playing, I remember one night I drank a, a like a forty of vodka before I went out and played. Yeah, just to that's too much. Just to do it. <laughs> yeah, just to make sure I could do it. Yeah, yeah. So and then of course after that, like You're the surfers were known yeah. as the drunkest band in Canada. Yeah, and yeah. we were. Yeah, you yeah. know, absolutely. We yeah. had the but drunkest is to me directly relates to the most fun. Yeah. Like no, we weren't okay. up there trying to change, reinvent sure. the fucking wheel. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. were up there to make you forget yeah. that it's Tuesday. But a lot of people do acid and mushrooms. A lot of it use it as a therapy to sort of. Yeah. And I think I did too. And, you know, uh, yeah. I did too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's sort I of. I got that whole idea from, you know, reading Doors of Perception sure. or, or things like that. Makes you, you think differently. Yeah. I heard this great, this great Duncan Trussell. I don't know if you know, he's a stand up comedian. But he talked about if you're. A lot of people that smoke weed get so into their heads and yeah. start thinking, man, I was an asshole to that guy. Yeah. I was such a dick. Like, how could, because what they're now doing is thinking and getting yeah. self-aware. Yeah. Self-awareness is key. So you're thinking about that. So what it does is thinking, I'm not going to be an asshole to yeah. people anymore. Yeah. And how powerful is that? The, it's the absolute difference between us and them. Yeah. The the us are the people that are self-aware and not blindly heading over the cliff with the, with the other lemmings. Yeah. So the, and the, them are the lemmings. Mm -hmm. So we, the people that have experienced any kind of, um, constant mind expansion, I guess, mm -hmm. or navigated that area of their brains and their, it fires your creativity up. It, it makes your imagination safe and it, makes you learn to not blindly follow you mm -hmm. kind of go you have a little bit of that moment now to say i'm gonna assess this and and make sure this is what for me mm -hmm. you know it's not for everybody no but i really loved it like i'm i'm eventually over the next few years i am definitely going on one of those dmt retreats yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I've like seen, that's that yeah. to me sounds like the greatest. Is that the vacation. ayahuasca stuff? Yeah, we go down to South America yeah. and they do the chants and the songs yeah. and dimethyltryptyline. Yeah, but it's yeah. like if you had a chance to open the door and meet God and aliens, why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, that's like, true. You've completely made that up, and yeah, a lot of people. Th I don't want you know get too much into that, but the whole idea is people do believe that you put yourself in a whole different dimension. Well, that's it. All by these, thinking differently. The first guys that were studying it uh, said they, were, they took these seven atheist scientists yeah. that were in their late 50s, uh, tricked Pfizer into making seven pure grams of dimethyltryptyline for them. <laughs> so they administered it all, uh, you know, in a safe clinical environment. Yeah. Every one of those atheists came out of their trip and went unequivocally, all of them said, I saw God mm -hmm. independently and sure they all sat it. and that's powerful stuff because you're yeah. thinking they're all on different trips and we're not supposed to be to kinetically or yeah. to psychically connect with each other. Yeah. But that's, that's what humans do. Yeah. They look at each other and go, I understand you. Yes. I don't even need to talk to you. I yes. get you. Yes. Some people are better. Sensors. And that's the best part about acid. Yeah. Was like yeah. that. We yeah. would all trip together yeah. and there would come points in the night where, you knew everybody was thinking the same thoughts. Yeah. And it was just, we had the most, like the fucking most fun you could ever have. Yeah, a lot of laughing. 
oh my god <laughs> like even bad trips were hilarious sure yeah like you just carve each other and make it worse but in doing that yeah it's better yeah like yeah. you're with friends you trust and they were all the musicians that i played with yeah and that was writing a song i'm not super talented i write these little songs and then i have the guys like dustin that i love or dave that i love that i trust more than anything and i'm i give them this is the they pull it together do yeah. what you do i'm not gonna micromanage all of these musicians sure i'm just gonna leave and trust that you're gonna fucking do awesome things mm-hmm. and, and they, they do. always do <laughs> yeah that's true you know dustin's gift for melody and harmony and kind of melodic structures blows my fucking mind yeah like i could never do that i'm a growly kind of you know the guy that smoked three packs a day and drank a bottle of whiskey every day that's what i sound like yeah dustin's got this beautiful although he's also you know drank a bottle a day and (laughs) smokes a couple packs a day but his uh his his tone penchant and and natural ability to kind of navigate through these melodies and ideas and stuff is just astonishing and it's uh really inspiring yeah you know one thing i've always said to people that when i talk about your songs is i say there's no if ands or buts this is brad you're getting brad talking to you yeah in song yeah there's never any consider this there's always like something so utterly personal yeah to your lyrics that says a lot without actually saying a lot. Yeah. And that is powerful stuff because I've said a lot on this interview, but that's, that's, it's interesting stuff because the lyric is something that either people get or don't. Right. And, and for me, when I hear you talk about things, I go, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Because I, I know you. Lyrics are extremely important to me. Yeah. Like yeah. the, the, the smashing three or four chords together and coming up with like a little, uh, sure. chord structure. That's, you can do that any day of the week. Mm-hmm. I can write two songs a day, like clockwork, no problem. Lyrically is the, where I have the most Oh, fun. everybody. Oh, dude, believe me. <laughs> it's hard. Like, I love it. Yeah. Like, I'll sit there and, and write. Like, I always say I write the words before the lyrics. So I, I, I feel like uh, I fill apps and pages and things with words like I write a whole pile of stuff and then from that I'll kind of extract what what I think the song is about and kind of take out the little couplets that are interesting or that yeah. that make for a good lyric or something sure and I'll take those out and kind of build around that yeah. but I write like all of these like this We're is looking at the notes yeah yeah unbelievable dude there's hundreds of songs in here hundreds yeah and each one of them is like uh, I don't know how, so and each one of them say how big is your iCloud account? I don't even use iCloud. I just keep writing. Please back so, that up. Look at look at that. And each song. one of them, yeah, is some of them are three, four times that length. So there's like uh, some of them are short, like yeah. some of them are just a couple lines, like a little couplet that sure. I wrote or whatever. But yeah. most of them are like pages and pages and pages. So mm-hmm. I write all this stuff down. Do you have a wireless printer? No get a wireless printer you could just print it yeah print it uh, on paper because i have it i have it on here i'm so worried on this there's one, hundreds of fucking songs on there they hundreds, could lose that hundreds and hundreds and yeah. i have this same app on my ipad with yeah another h- couple hundred on there yeah and i have one on my 
uh, laptop, same thing. Yeah. So I just find whatever I can find and write. Like, I spend most of my time writing. I'm in the hospital and I'm sitting yeah. at home, unable to move. So I just write and write and yeah. write. I love that part. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that's the fun part for me is to is to kind of. You know, not all of them are winners, but sure. they're... It's an exercise. I, I've yeah, explained this to people, it. too. You need to sort of go through the crap yeah. to get to the gold. Yeah. And you yeah. know when it's gold. Yes, Because it, just, it yeah. just clicks. Yep. Just Every clicks. time. Yeah. You, know? you never have to struggle. No. Never have to struggle. And I find if, if, if songwriting isn't fun, don't do it. Stop doing it. If it's yeah. not, like, uh, a little man inside your head with a jackhammer trying to get out, and if you don't let him out, you're going to die... Don't fucking do it. Yeah. Yeah. Go do so. Go be an accountant. Yeah. You know, where did mental, mental, um, happiness, where did this come all into this? Are you a happy person? We've, have you been, have you ever struggled and had dark oh, times? Oh yeah, of and... course. And especially now, that's what I was saying when we, when you got here, Yeah. when your mobility and, uh, lifestyle are kind of ripped out from underneath you, depression and that kind of, what's the point? go hand in hand mm -hmm. so the more i hurt the the harder it is for me to find a reason that tomorrow will be better because yeah. it won't be and you know and i talk i actually had a pastor over at my house yesterday a guy mm -hmm. that i know that lives down the road for me and he's like happens to be a pastor but i said you know i know tomorrow isn't gonna be any easier for me mm -hmm. and i know the day after isn't either I can't even tell you if in four hours from now I'll be able to walk. So I don't really see any reason to become more of a burden on my friends or family. They see me hurt and they don't like it. And it hurts their hearts. Mm -hmm. And I'm the reason for that. If I just vanished into thin air one day, that burden off their heart would be lifted. No. Well. No, it's not true, dude. I felt like that, like, when, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, oh, like, okay. yeah. you know, I know you got experience with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A friend of mine um, that committed suicide a while back, we were in the, kind of in the parking lot of the funeral home, and everybody that would hug each other, the first thing out of their mouths was, should have been you. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Just because it's yeah. funny, you know, making yeah. light of it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy, uh, the, the preacher during the service said, uh, and this was one of Wayne's favorite songs and played some church song. And one of my buddies in the front yells out, That's not the fucking mentors. We, uh, oh, it was really awesome. Wow, okay. We had yeah, a blast. Yeah, yeah. But I said, It's like uh, he was carrying this really big, heavy piece of glass. And now he decided to let it go and it smashed all over the floor and cut some of us yeah. and we're hurt and sad about it. Sure. But we have to pick it all up. So mm -hmm. instead of him carrying it all, we get to carry one little piece of it. So yes. I would rather that than him have to shoulder that burden for the rest of his miserable life. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy he did what he did. Yes. Mm -hmm. I hate the fact that I can't get hammered with them yeah. tomorrow night, of sure. course, or any of them. Sure. I think nine of my friends have committed suicide since not 1990 mm -hmm. you're right you're saying it's the other people are picking up that glass and some people are cut but at the same time i mean that's an amazing image way of looking at it yeah you know it is it's definitely a way of looking at it is that it's a it's like pulling a band-aid off yeah you know it sucks yeah but now the band-aid's off yeah and guess what that person that we love so much isn't fucking miserable now yeah yeah i know and you know what but but 
there is um there is there is a case against that. Yeah, of course. Because yeah, of course. you've written how many songs on that phone? Hundreds. Hundreds. You got hundreds more to write. Yeah. Keep writing them yeah, songs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Keep writing those songs. Exactly. And that's kind of the way I see it is that eventually I won't be able to play live, but you have I have it. a whole bunch of fucking friends that do. Yeah. And they'll take my songs and sure. and play them for people. Yeah. And I can put my little weird YouTube videos on where I yeah. you know, like Yeah. Now what I, I'm gathering I'm, is that there's still a reason to stick yeah, around. Yeah, exactly. But maybe in the times back there, maybe a few years ago there wasn't. Yeah. Exactly. You know. But at the same time, you're right. It sounds like you, you know, it's a tough headspace to think about, and I don't have that capacity to understand. Yeah, it hurts. That. It hurts a and lot, and especially to go to the hospital and be treated like a drug addict every time. That's true. It's That's true. terrible. Yeah, and, and I ended right. up, I ended up getting a doctor suspended from the hospital for it. She didn't even look at my chart. I went in. I had a pick line in, and was wearing an IV bag under my coat. Mm-hmm. She didn't even fucking look. She yeah. looked at my toe. She made me take my shoe off. And started looking between my toes. And I was wondering. if you're injecting. Well, I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know people did that. Yeah. So she's looking between my toes. And I thought, I got to hit record on my phone. She walked out of the room. I hit record on my phone. Thank God. Stuck it in my pocket. She came back in and she goes, the only um, explanation for such high levels of infection in your body is that you are an intravenous drug user. I was like, Mm -hmm. get out of this room immediately. Uh, and don't come back in here. Right. So then a nurse came in and was trying to backpedal for her, but I had it all on tape. So I went and met with the manager the next day, and she ended up getting suspended. Yeah, and you have a you have a chart that says she didn't even read her condition. Yeah, yeah. She didn't and had even she read, read it, it, she would have been able to make a better decision. Exactly. But she just and and ahead. also on that chart is ten years of uh, urine tests. Yeah. That would have that indicated that you weren't. Yeah, would have indicated ab- yeah. without unequivocally that. There is nothing like that going on in my life. And to be looked at like that, that's got to suck. It and it's sucks. like being a punk rocker in high school. It's it the is. same thing. Yeah, They're but looking at judging you. Yeah, an You're an adult. adult yeah. yeah. It really breaks my heart. But I do understand, the, especially in remote northern communities, the epidemic of, uh, of drug use. Drug and, use. Yeah, yeah. You know, had I just want the, the best care I can get with the most respect I can get it. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to be treated like something i'm not for no reason right. like just uncompassionately yeah you know so anyway yeah. they ended up uh having to and i couldn't play my guitar from uh the end of january until that's this year yeah, yeah. until the end of may i think it was yeah. before i could actually play again they had to like cut my uh arm open take bone and muscle out i ended up with osteomyelitis in my bones right. it's like a really acute painful severe bone disease that that's the same mick mars thing right the ankylosing spondylitis yeah. that's yeah. what caused that okay and that's what mick mars has yeah. that's what yeah. i have yeah so it's the calcifying of my spinal cord yeah it's just getting it's growing together it grows together yeah so all those little there's like uh vertebrae in there and then these Excusing. little yeah these little red uh cushions mm-hmm. the cushions are absolutely gone and it's uh that's what the injections are for is yeah. to it's like I'm getting grease it, yeah. Yeah. like greasing up my yeah. spinal cord yeah, yeah but it is absolutely painful and there's no real known cure no cure there's yeah. no surgical option there's nothing mm-hmm. you just got to kind of learn what your pain management yeah pain management which i'm grateful for and uh and that's the thing is i always i've written a lot of stuff about it and 
want to publish it, but I can't because all the news you see about pain medications like um, Oxycontin or Oxyneo in Canada, the press you see is bad press. Pharmacy got robbed, uh, kid overdosed, became an addict, blah, blah, blah. What you don't see are the hundreds of lives it has saved Mm -hmm. because a guy that participates in the pain management program that is prescribed a medication like this can't say to the world the day before i got this medication i was ready to jump in the river now that i got this medication i can have a a a little bit of the quality of life that i was hoping to have directly as a result of being part of this pain management program if that guy writes that and says that to counterbalance the press that's negative about that's you. negative. Now they become a target by the dirt bags that are going to fucking break in and steal your meds and rob you. Like, yeah, you can't, you yeah. can't do it. You can't be honest about yeah. your life or, or what you're doing to help yeah. yourself. You can't, you can't meditate the pain away. No, no, you cannot. It, unfortunately, you can't. It'd be nice if you could. Yes. And that's the thing is a lot of guys talk about, um, well, just smoke grass, just smoke more grass. Yeah. Well, I tried that. Of course, I would rather do that because the the stigma, it doesn't have much of a stigma. There's medical marijuana now. Yeah, yeah. and it doesn't have the, the social stigma or the uh, regulations by the right. government to, you can just go down to your local... Yeah, fucking dispenser. pot guy yeah, yeah. and and buy a an ounce of pot and get stoned but for someone like me who used to get baked every day i used to smoke tons of fucking grass smoking joints all day all night as i started dealing with these pain problems that i have i found that the marijuana would override all of the other medication in my body make me hyper aware of the pain i was in and I would be in more pain. It wasn't actually taking the pain away. I think most of the people that are advocating for medical marijuana are advocating for their peace of mind that they get from the grass and not the fact that it's actually working to inhibit the pain receptors in your brain. It's helping their social life and their quality of life. So that's why it should be legalized. But for me, it, it works. It, it takes the effect of the, uh, pharmaceutical medication away it overrides yeah. that it's kind of like taking a, a multivitamin to cure a headache well dave said it to <laughs> me he had a problem with his jaw and he was taking yeah. tylenol threes and he called me one day and said it feels like these tylenol threes aren't working i said try tomorrow when you get up instead of smoking a joint just take your tylenol three and don't smoke any grass for that day and see if the tylenol three is working sure shit he called me he called me back and said the fucking tylenol works interesting it's the grass overrides all of those it does something to the pain receptors in your brain sure so it goes up there yeah and kind of pushes everything else out of the way and says you know i'm here now so i'm gonna run this party and everything else has to go sit on the bench and that's what i found and it dave was a perfect example of sure. it i don't know i don't think that happens for everybody sure. i can't speak we're for all everybody. different people yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean just like all the other meds some work for me and some don't you know well i i think the fact that i don't know it's the old adage too you write the blues in the you can't write the blues in air-conditioned room 
No. You're feeling pain. Yeah. You got to put that pain out and, and put it on paper and put it on music. Yeah. And let the world know yeah. what you feel. And there's a way to do that where it's a celebration and Absolutely. not just a downer. Because I've heard your, your latest songs too. And I know that you haven't been mentally in the in the in in a yeah. in a safe, nice place. Yeah. <laughs> and that little bird song that I just uh, played on, on that bear show yeah, that you yeah. guys just did today that I'm very excited for. Yeah. Yeah. It, that song, I was three days after I'd gotten out of the hospital. Yeah. I went and played that, and I did. I didn't think I was going to be able to. I think I heard the Facebook version of it too. Didn't yeah. you come and do Facebook version? And it yeah. did quite well, actually. It got some nice. Yeah, and there's feedback. like another one I wrote that's like a fuck it all song. Like yeah. you know, I I heard that. I one have too. every my luck is shit, and yeah. you know, so it's time we say fuck it all. Like yeah. and so those songs too, which also address the the changes in the way I live and how I have to navigate life. It addresses those things, but in a more kind of celebratory way yeah. where i can say you know what it's i, I got a party too yeah like i gotta find a way to have fun despite uh having a real struggle with everything that pain and it's it's something that i never would have imagined was gonna happen like those kind yeah. of things you don't ever really yeah. think you know if i was an athlete then maybe i'd, I'd sure that would be it, uh, your but, livelihood or or even if yeah, yeah. Like my putting my body through all that, uh, like physical strain, you know, playing hockey or football as a youth and a teenager in college or mm-hmm. post college, whatever. Then I'd understand. Okay, my body's starting to fail me. That's why. Yeah, but yeah. me, you know, I was just a naked guy screaming and drinking at Lee's Palace. Like, well, even on that Green album, what's the last song that was on that Green album? That, that three a.m. one. Three a.m. song. Yeah, I listened to that. And when I listen to that, I know you. Yeah. And that is a rare talent that a lot of people don't have is to be able to let people know who you are, how you feel. Thanks. And everything. And that is why, you know, I celebrate your music because, and I think everybody should, because there's, there's an honest, honest grit and quality. There's no, let's tell a little story or, or I want to make a cautionary tale. It's in fact, the exact opposite of what, um conjured pop is yeah and, but I you think that's kind of what it misses a lot of things miss is that like when i was a little kid i i kind of had this thought in my head where i can't play the songs are all the the chords are all the same for everybody but i can't be tom petty no so i'll just be me mm-hmm. and i'll be the most me i can be and regardless of whether people like it or not i will be happy to go to bed that night knowing i'm not bullshitting anybody i just had deja vu you ever had that yeah you know you think i think i've been here before yeah that's that weird i don't know i just think we just documented that at the hour 18 moment <laughs> holy crap that fuck that freaked me out yeah i've had a few of them on this trip actually that's why i am in sault Ste. Marie. i don't even know anybody knows that but I, i'm up here you know that but you're it's right. awesome to have you here because so much of what kind of how you built your repertoire or your whatever mm-hmm. is all kind of connected to the Sioux. Absolutely. In yeah. in these weird, weird ways. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Like and not many people are the Sioux is one of those places where if you're not if you don't get it, you're not invited. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? True. And yeah. you get it. Yeah. And there's you know, Dustin says it all the time. It's that your sense of humor was such a way that embraced us like when mikey broke his arm yeah yeah. we needed a drummer we called you yeah yeah yeah. like that's the only (laughs) guy that would be able to do this i talked to mikey about that it was hilarious because he just sat we were practicing in 
your basement and Mikey just sat there with his broken arm. Yeah, he was upset because that was our first Lee's Palace gig. Yeah. And he couldn't do it. He was upset and he told me, he's like, and I said, I could smell and feel the hate. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. Because he was just like feeling like, how could you replace me? Don't replace me. But it was brilliant because. And with you and, and him knowing like that the safe his gig was safe yeah like, yeah even though your loggerhead guy remember him the label guy your manager at the time that eric guy was that his name I eric don't know. yeah i think Log- so. loggerhead he took know. me aside and said hey uh so would you be interested in the gig full-time and i'm like no fucking way i'm not taking mikey's gig and i don't want mikey's gig i got my own gig I got in trouble for that my, my guitar player got mad at me for being in another band for like a week yeah that's hilarious <laughs> It was like a, the best party night of all time. It was so much fun. Yeah. It's funny too. I talked to Daryl Hers the other day and I haven't talked to him in a long time and he struggles with things. Yeah. And uh, he was kind of brand new at, I think he was just booking at the B side at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And upstairs. he was just yeah, yeah, kind yeah, yeah. of emerging yeah. in the kind of, you know, the scene as a guy to that, a getter done kind of guy. But right away, he attached to us like this is what i want all of it to be yeah it's not and all these bands that that, was such a cool place to play right yeah Yeah, yeah. and he he would say like i like he would put us on a bill with this other band he had called lie i think and they were like a gothy kind of band that just took them fucking selves way too seriously and like the saw the quality wasn't there the the fun wasn't there. Yeah. Nobody was there having fucking fun. Yeah. But when Daryl saw us for the first time, he saw a group of guys that just wanted to have fun, do a bunch of fucking drugs, get their dick sucked in the bathroom, and do it again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like, and use rock and roll as an excuse to not have to pay for drinks anymore. <laughs> and that's and so he kind of embraced us, and then as he kind of started to move around the scene a little bit, yeah. he would bring us with him. Like you want to like tattoo that bar open. You want a band? I know the first band. Yeah. Get the surfers up. We go, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that was sort of a neat little time in Toronto too. We're talking about the early two thousands. That was like a time when there was, there was shows to be had, you know, and I don't know much about the Toronto scene anymore. I never hear about bands coming out of there now with that same excitement as I did sure. back then. Well, Alexis uh, lives in Toronto and mm-hmm. a, f- a friend of mine, Alexis Clement, mm-hmm. Mantello Clement, and she is married to Joy Clement, who used to play with a group called The Awesome Team mm-hmm. from um, somewhere up north. And they have a little band called Sissy Spaceship and they do like, you know, rock and roll covers. But they play this place called the Rock Pile. Oh, yeah. yeah and they yeah. played with Brighton Rock last yeah, week. They yeah. played with Adler a it's couple weeks side. ago. Yeah. But it's like this kind of uh, little scene in itself over there. That, That's a West End, yeah, West End place. The, yeah. the place is packed. All these kind of 80s, old 80s metalheads come out of the woodwork. And there's somewhere to go now. Yeah. But it's, I never hear about those little scenes like that anymore. Mm-hmm. When, when we were living there and first started playing, I remember. Uh, Barbie. Do you remember Barbie? Girl yeah. named Barbie. She played in a band I think called Spy. I think yes, I do know. She that had like name. dark hair. Yeah, yeah. She was married to Bill um Billy Idol. Bill uh he played with Oh damn. He was a sound man at the Bovine for a while. Okay. 
He has the same name as Billy Idol's. What's Billy Idol's it's real Bill, name? It's Bill, but Bill still does sound there, I think. At the, at Might the Bobo. still be the same yeah, guy, but yeah. anyway, they were together. And I remember Barbie, who was kind of like the the queen of the scene kind of back then. Surfers did a set at the Elmo, and we were kind of packing up, and she ran over to me and said, come have a drink with me. I want to know more about you. You guys are the weirdest fucking band I've ever seen. <laughs> like, you're not, you're not a glam band like Robin Black or the Sinisters. Sure. Yeah. You're not a heavy metal band. You're not a pop punk band. You're not any of these, but you're all of them. And it's just... You guys, what did she say? She said, you come in in a big puff of smoke and then you vanish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I always thought of that, like, you know, that's a good way to be if you're going to, if you're going to try to be that. You leave an impression. Yeah, you kind of, mm-hmm. but don't fit anybody. Sure. A mold. I think, you know, if I can, if I can sort of sum up what you're saying is honesty is something that's so hard to try. It can't fake. Yeah. You can't fake honesty. It is something that people inherently have. And they will relate to you whether they're wearing a flannel shirt or makeup. So it's, yeah. you know what I mean? Even the metal sure. heads are going to say, I dig that because they're responding to it. the idea that there's yeah. four guys that are obviously super good friends. Like half the time sure. we're up there laughing, you know, obviously playing naked and the crazy shit we did because we're friends. Mm-hmm. The music was secondary. Yeah. Like, fuck yeah. the music. Like, let's just get up there and jiggle our dicks around and yeah. get drunk. Yeah. And like, I like the fact that like, I'm going to come back to the honesty thing is that when you're honest with people and you tell them exactly what you feel, which I think you almost to a fault would meet people and tell them exactly what you felt. That was one of those things in five minutes of awkwardness for a lifetime of, oh, that's who you are. Yeah. You would never be anybody else with me until it's, when you were on the morphine and then probably different brad yeah maybe the brad thing with me it. is loyalty yeah like if yeah. i love you you can't do wrong yeah. i will love you right or wrong right take or them wrong, up and down the mountains right. yeah you're yeah. always right i'm with you man and, and that's I'm with it you on and that. i love you yeah. for all the things that for the fun we have and how well you were able to kind of bring us together mm-hmm. and give us a record that I'm still proud of. Yeah. No, I think definitely we we did some. We definitely made a good record. And even bringing that Wayne Lawrence into the fold. That was fun. Was a fucking nightmare. <laughs> but he was weird and yeah, yeah, and yeah. got weird things out of us. Yeah. But it was an exercise. You were there to kind of glue keep, everything back together as piece, yeah. he was smashing it apart. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But it I, was. <laughs> I heard a story where you guys were doing vocals at Dustin's. And he did all the vocals, and then he's like, great, and he erased everything, and he's like, let's record. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. I was like, you'd worked all these hours trying to, because that was that moment where you're recording my place, and I had a band, and I had to go to Europe, and I went to Europe for a month, Yeah. Yeah. and then you ended up recording most of the record while I was gone, vocally, at at Dustin's place, Yeah. and then came back and mixed it, but it was like one of those, okay, let's just, uh, let's do that, and then you did all these vocals, and then he erased everything. Yeah. The, and Wayne, for the few folks listening at home, Wayne used to be in Boys, Boys Brigade. Brigade. Yeah, and, and he a, worked with Daniel Lanois at... Uh, that desert studio yeah, place. The yeah, the Teatro studio. Yeah, yeah. So he did Iggy Pop Records. He did yeah. Sinead O'Connor, Definitely Peter Gabriel. Yeah. yeah, he's got a really unique ear for you know certain things. That, that record, uh, listening to it, 
sounds pretty fresh to me. Sounds yeah, still sounds pretty good. There are moments on it. Yeah, like, the first uh, song right out the gate is oh, this is great. Yeah, sounds there's good, you know. But I think we kind of slipped on that record in some ways that we we didn't emphasize who we really are. What the name we, of that record again? Time to travel. Time on. to travel. On. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a great. You know, I love the songs on it, I especially. There's a few Mikey song on there is one of my favorites that he ever wrote when you're around. Uh, there's there's a bunch of great songs sure. on there. Yeah. But Wayne was just this weird guy that was able to kind of find unique sounds. Yeah. But it wasn't. We wanted him for the sounds and you to make sure that we didn't fall apart and <laughs> kill him. Yeah. and bury him in the backyard yeah yeah because yeah. we could have easily done that yeah. and said to each other there you go never heard of him <laughs> you know like <laughs> that was an experience that was i was a lesson in my mm, okay just keep your mouth shut keep your mouth shut let it happen let it go and yeah uh, just a weird approach eh? he Is was that... just an interesting yeah i can't even explain this guy i saw him a couple of years later at a rheostatic show and he was the same guy yeah so he was definitely and you know what like maybe we had these moments where he'd be mixing and then he would do like a fucking scissor kick yeah and run out the front <laughs> he had these weird twitches that used yeah. to freak me out he did like, a scissor kick in front oh. of me in the studio and ran out the front door to go smoke i'm like oh what the God. what's going on there and you say he used to smoke and you used to have headphones on and be like <laughs> like he would be feeling music and i thought maybe he's got an extra sensory thing that we don't get that's maybe. that's what kind of drew me to him in the first place yeah yeah like i was again i was a drug dealer and there was sure. this woman that was coming over and she i was playing guitar and she said i want you to come and play guitar for my husband i didn't know who he was yeah so i said yeah sure so i drove her home I wrote Alexis and said, uh, this woman wants me to go play for this guy. Do you, what do you know? Yeah. And she was like, oh, Bradley, do it right away. Do it right away. Yeah. And then kind of filled me in on who he what, was. Yeah, yeah, who he was. Yeah. So then he, when we did our first record, he had, uh, we wanted him to kind of help us mix it. Yeah. And he captured a few moments just sitting around that sounded really great. So we thought, well, maybe we could do a whole record like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, <laughs> it, it just didn't work for us. By yeah. the time we did the last record, when you were at the school, that was one of the most fun experiences I oh, ever had. Oh, yeah, in my life. when we were at the university. Like, yeah, God, yeah. that was fucking fun. Wasn't that great? We had a blast. We yeah. were dying the whole time laughing. Yeah. And we made a great record out yeah. of it. That was a really good record, you know? and we did the most important stuff in that big old space. Yeah. And then we moved it down to my place yeah. and did the rest of it. Yeah. That was one of the last sessions I did before I moved out. Yeah. Because I moved up to Uxbridge at that point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I love that studio, too. That was a great one, one in the downtown. hallways. Yeah. Did we do the putting? Did we do the urban golf with you guys? I don't know. I did it with some bands. We had a couple of putters, and we put golf balls all the way around. Oh, wow. And do it like, I think it was a par 98. Oh, one ball. <laughs> We go out the front door, left, and all the way around the building, wow. and end up at the front. And how many shots you could do it in? Wow. It was a par. Some it was a lot of shots. Did you? What did you do with that space? Did you? Just... I just packed all the stuff up. I took all the all the wood I could, and I moved it up to my parents' barn. Yeah, and that's where it is now. Is that? Do you like it better there? Is it a better? I vibe do. And... Well, you know what? Having it in the city is a good vibe, obviously, because you yeah. can go for coffee. Yeah, you can go do things, and you can have a good time. Yeah, but having it out in the country. Yeah, it's amazing. And then there was a few, yeah. few bands would come up and like start falling asleep in the chairs. Yeah, because it's just so quiet. Yeah, see, I prefer that to the city. Yeah, nowadays, I think you'd like my place. It's I would. Like I big would. Big high ceilings. Of course, and yeah. It's nice. It's, I you love know, it. 
I love anything that's kind of you know outside and yeah you know i've restructured how i record bands now too so i don't do it because i need to anymore yeah you don't have to you were just good at it you're good at being the guy that the band needs to make everybody feel good and and give you sounds to tape that are good and authentic and I appreciate you're comfortable. you saying that. You're like a yeah. you're like a big hug for a band. <laughs> yeah. You really are. I appreciate you saying that. And That's I think that obviously, if we ever did anything, it would always be with you. I'd come up here and do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Well, hey, man. Let's. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show, Brad. We were talking about this like fuck almost a year ago about yeah. getting you on the show, and it just so happened I was in the suit. Well, I'm happy to do it. I, I yeah. I man. hope that somebody listening will kind of get it and know that they're first know that no matter what's happening, just keep writing songs and being who you are. Find ways to include people into your struggles Yeah, and don't do it alone. And if always, if you want, you can write me. If you have problems that you're struggling with, just write me and I'll talk to you about it. Like, I don't yeah. give a shit who you are. Yeah. We'll do it and uh, we'll make it fun. So yeah. it's not always miserable. Yeah. Well, that's, you know? that's, that's a good note. to go The hardest on. thing is to tell people yeah. and bring them in. Cause you don't set so out uh, like albino alligator thing. Yeah. You don't want to look weak or limpy because then you'll they'll, get they'll attacked. You yeah. So, yeah. but the reality is, is the people that love you, love you no matter what is happening to you. So and bring them in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate you letting me talk to Anytime, you. Anytime, man. Thank I you. love you, Simon. I love you, too. That went on for a little bit, didn't it? Because we weren't done talking, everybody. Brad, 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 my friend Brad. One of a kind, Brad LaSalle. A one in a million, Brad LaSalle. My favorite songwriter, Brad LaSalle. It was so good to get caught up with Brad, and I wish him all the luck and and speedy recovery from anything that's been going on. Don't forget about the show, everybody. January 27th, a live show at 603 Markham Street, a place called The Central. Doors are at uh, 5.30 in the the afternoon, not in the morning. 5.30 p.m., and the show will be done around 8 p.m. Okay. Don't forget to go to there. It's a place called The Central. It's going to be fun, everybody. As many people that can come, please come. Okay? Tell a friend. Tell an enemy. And, yeah, it's the first time. I'm a little nervous, actually, to be doing it. But here we are. This is what's happening. You have to face your fears, people. If you don't face your fears, then you're nobody. Fashclass.com and InsightRecorders.com are sponsors. Thanks to Musician's Friend. Thanks to Amazon.com or .ca or .co.uk. Don't forget to go to the Apolog.ca uh, slash shop and buy stuff. We have, I have a shirt for sale. Don't forget about Patreon.com slash Apolog to pledge to the show. Don't forget to like the show on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Pod. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. And do not forget to go to iTunes. Search out Apolog Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, share everything, okay? We're in a weird, transparent age now where everybody knows everything. Like right now, I bet you know the CIA, CIA knows, knows something that I said, something that's something to do with Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda. See? Look, they know. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Thanks for tuning in every week. Next week, 
I don't know who I have next week. But I'm, you know what? You'll find out. Go to facebook.com slash pod for any more information. Usually I post a poster around Wednesday or Thursday, and it'll give you the insight as to who is coming in the next week. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for listening. Again, we'll talk to you later. Bye.